Hey, we're in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, We'll get to work from there. Don't mind me setting up my props. Let's see here. Come back to that. Philippians chapter 2. Again, we're glad you're here. My name is Mark, and uh, we're just gathered to worship God together. And and together we're going through this series called The Pursuit of Joy. And it's just a series through the book of Philippians. And we see in the book of Philippians uh, joy as the overwhelming uh, theme of the book. And yet in the midst of joy, there's all sorts of suffering and sorrow and trials. And, and as we saw last week, as Paul turns his attention from, from his circumstances to the church at Philippi, he's, he just encourages them to ferociously fight for unity. It's for our joy, but it's also for the mission of the church to go forward. Therefore, it's for the, the glory of God to go forward. And so we saw that last week, that with the tools of love and humility, uh, we can do amazing things. Um, we love humble people, and we like the idea of humility, but no one here likes to be humbled, Right? And sometimes God gives you just illustrations like right when you need them because I'm, I'm over here uh, moving the, the speakers and my pants ripped all the way down my butt here this morning. So, so there's that. Um, so that, I'll, I'll try to just face you this morning for your own, just to be kind to you. Uh, but that, that's humbling um, and that's good for me. But uh, we're, we're in Philippians chapter 2. I, I've brought a few things here today. We, we have the cross, and if we had our own building, we'd probably have a cross to always be a reminder for us. And, and then I have a, a ladder here this morning, and, and both represent kind of two ways to, to do life. Uh, on the one hand, the ladder might be uh, the ladder of success. It could be the ladder of achievement. It could be the ladder of status or, or prestige or, or whatever it is. But uh, what, whatever the case is, uh, to some degree, each of us are ladder climbers. Uh, and, and the ladder tells us that if you, if you climb far enough and, and high enough, that somewhere, you're, you're not, they don't, no one really tells you for sure, but somewhere, if you get to the right spot, then there's just something you got to have. There's just something that you just can't live without. And so uh, we, we are a society of ladder climbers, and, and we're, we're in a neighborhood of ladder climbers, and we put our kids on ladders and say, hey, climb faster, climb higher, whatever the thing is for you, whether it's sports or, or school or, or, or whatever, but we put our kids on ladders, we're on ladders. But, but ladders isn't, isn't necessarily, what, what I'm trying to say by this is, it's not bad that, that we would climb the ladder. The ladder in itself isn't bad. In fact, many of you are very successful ladder climbers. Where, where it begins to turn, however, is when the ladder becomes the purpose, the whole reason. I know a guy named Richard. Richard's coming up on retirement now, and uh, he's, a, he's a great ladder climber. He's spent his whole life dedicated to the ladder. He's a CEO, and he's climbed very, very high, very, very successful by the world's standards. Uh, he, as he's gone, he said that when he was younger, he would read these uh, articles like from Forbes or Fortune 500 or um, 
the Wall Street Journal, and, and he would read these stories of, of other ladder climbers, people that had gone very, very far. And he said, uh, the thing about those is they always kind of mention the, the age of the person. And when he was younger, he would say, when I get to that age, then I'm going to be where that person was or further. And so he would climb and climb and climb. And he said, but one day he was reading in the Wall Street Journal a story of a very successful ladder climber. Uh, but this time, when it mentioned the age, the guy was younger than him. And he said he felt a little bit of pain inside. And so he said, I'm going I'm to have to work harder. I'm going to have to give more effort and energy to the ladder. And so he tried more and more. But as the older he got, uh, more and more he'd read these articles. And, and he was becoming the old guy. And the other guys were outpacing him. And so uh, his pain management technique in that case was to just stop reading the articles. The truth is, the ladder hadn't been good to him. He's got a wife and kids. Uh, but his marriage is on life support. He always told himself that uh, if he finally just got to that point, then he could give his time and attention to his marriage that it, it needed. But he, he was always convinced that there was just a little bit more, spend a little bit more time, do a little bit more energy and effort. His kids now have, have grown up and they're out of health and, and, and they're a mess. They, don't, they, they never really had a relationship with their dad. They would have gladly had their dad just chill out on the ladder a little bit and spend some time with them. But he told them, I'm just trying to provide for you. I'm trying to give you the best to all the best things in this world. And they got lots of nice things. But in the end, it, it, was, it was pretty brutal to them. The truth is the ladder hasn't been good to Richard. It, it, the truth is the ladder has become his God. And when the ladder becomes your God, it's a cruel God. Anything apart from God that becomes our God is a cruel God. But, but it's not just for, for CEOs. It's for athletes and celebrities. I mean, everyone's trying to get to the top. But what happens when you actually get to the top? What do you find up there? Or worse, what happens when you get knocked off? I, I was thinking this week of... Uh, uh, mixed martial arts, MMA, Ronda Rousey. She was... Well, in, that, in the vernacular of that world, she was a beast. Uh, she was undefeated. She would beat people not in minutes, but in seconds. Uh, kind of think, for those of you that are older, young Mike Tyson, but in the women's world, and that's where our world's come to, so women fighting each other. Uh, but that's another sermon for another day. No, nevertheless, she's on every magazine cover everywhere. Uh, and then about a year ago, she loses. And she goes into hiding for about nine months, and she... Uh, comes out and she comes out on the Ellen show and and, and this is her first public statement and so Ellen says tell us about that and she said well I, I was at the top of the world and all of a sudden I was knocked down I was sitting in the medical room uh, sitting in the corner thinking I need to kill myself what am I if I'm not that no one's going to care about me anymore the ladder had become her god the ladder had promised just come to the top and stay at the top and all will be good but but we know that's not true but it's not just for celebrities and CEOs and children. Uh, it's for church people. It's for religious people. Entire religious systems have been built on the ladder that if you climb high enough and far enough, then you get to go to nirvana. Then you get to go to paradise. Then you get to go to heaven. And so we, we are ladder climbers as well. And, and my career field has a lot of ladder climbers. We're always like, well, who's the best preacher? What kind of church do they have? How many people do they have coming? And why does everyone go to their church? How much are they giving? And all these things like if we could just climb the ladder uh, we're just a mess when we live for the ladder now now the biggest problem with living for the ladder as you're striving to go up one rung 
to the other. And as the rungs get further and further apart, and, and as it's not enough that you just get to the top of your ladder, when you have a ladder climber mindset, everyone else on your ladder has to lose. And so it, it is very self-focused, it's very driven, but uh, as you go up, the biggest problem we're gonna see from the passage today is that you'll miss Jesus because Jesus has come down the ladder. If you have your Bible, it's Philippians chapter 2 this morning as we continue. I'll pick it up from a couple of verses that we were at last week just to remind us of the context, starting in verse 3. And, and as I work through this, and as we see Jesus coming down the ladder as our example, listen carefully, this is God's Word. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we covered that last week. Like that's, that's a good game plan, but how, how do you actually get humility? Like maybe sometimes God just gives it to you on stage, but other, otherwise, like how do you get humility? In the moment that you try to be humble, you're no longer humble, Right? Like, it's this, this elusive thing. It's this, like, trying to grab a waterfall. It's just going to go through your hands. And so how do we become a humble people? Well, we're, we're going to see from this passage that it comes secondarily. It's a fruit of something else. In fact, Paul would say it's a fruit of, uh, of meditating on and thanking on the cross of the Christ, being shaped by the cross of Christ. Here's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, now, have this mind among yourselves, or, or think like this, or your translation might say, have the same attitude among yourselves as Christ Jesus. But, but ESV says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, so with this, this verse, actually verses 6 through 11, uh, most scholars will say that this isn't original with Paul, this part. This is probably one of the oldest Christian hymns uh, from the first century that would be passed from one church to the next. So when they would gather, they would sing this, and they would, in their song, they would memorize and they would remember the gospel. And, and so uh, Paul shifts, and he brings in this, this ancient hymn, maybe the first hymn that we have in, in the Christian church. And he says this one, the first truth, that God, though he was in the form of God, or, or literally translated, though he is in his very essence, since God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be clutched to, to be, to be grasped. So, so what it really means is because, like this, because Jesus was God, the very nature of God is not a taking God, but a giving God. That's the kind of God we serve. He's a giver. And so because of his very nature, he didn't consider just holding on to his rights and his thing as the ultimate thing. Because he's a giving God. And so Jesus begins to come down the ladder. I mean, in the worth chart of the universe, where would you put the job title God? 
Okay, so the, the, there's no, you're not getting any promotions. There's no more rungs to claim. And, and Paul reminds us by this hymn that Jesus is God. Jesus uh, has, is the co-creator of the universe. Jesus made all things. Uh, Colossians 1 tells us all things were made by him and for him. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus, being God in glory, being worshipped by the angels day and night forever, and ever uh, proclaiming his worth, he says, I'm going to step down the ladder. And he comes down a rung. Verse 7 says, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, it's important, just a, a Christological or, or how we understand the doctrine of Christ, that we understand this, this verse, because a, a lot of cults and a lot of heresies throughout church history have misunderstood this verse. They, they've taken it to mean like, well, Jesus somehow uh, no longer became God, or, or Jesus was always God, and he just kind of put on an, an illusion that he was human. No, the doctrine of the incarnation is that Jesus, in his glory and divinity, steps out of heaven and takes on an additional nature. He takes on on a human nature. He takes on all of our limitations, all of our struggles, all of our pain, all of our suffering when he puts on flesh. It isn't that he is no longer God. It's that he is also human and he joins the two. He has two natures. The word is uh, kenosis, but uh, it's not important for us to understand the grammar. It's important for us to understand the, the concept. And I, I heard a concept this week that helps explain verse 7. It comes from an African missionary who said, was teaching on this passage, and he said, I, I work in uh, the Sudan, in a very dry part of Africa. And the most valuable commodity in that part of the world is water. And, and the wells are, are very, very deep. You get water at about the 200-foot mark. He says, now, now in, the, in the tribe, the, the strongest man is the chief. And that becomes very important. The strongest man is the chief. And because water is so valuable, it's not a well like you and I think about a well where you drop a bucket down and, and you pull up water. They could do that, but he said they would never do that because it would be too easy to get to. Now that sounds interesting, right? Like water is such a precious commodity. Wouldn't you want it easy to get to? He said, no. If it was too easy to get to, then, then people wouldn't treat it as valuable as it is. And, and we, would, uh, we would go through it. It fills up very slowly. We, we, would, we would die of, of, of thirst. And, and furthermore, our enemies could come into the tribe, and they could come at night and take all of our water, and we would die of thirst. And so what they do is they, they cut a, a shaft into uh, the well, like at a very steep angle. And the shaft goes all the way down, but uh, along this wall is, is, is footsteps. So you, you put your foot on one side of the wall and push, and you, put your, and you go down 200 feet into the well. And so strong men go down every morning with these uh, skins that they'll fill up for water, and then they'll put it on their back, and they will climb back the 200 feet up the shaft of, of the well, and then they'll give, they'll give the water. So, well, one day, uh, as the guy was coming back up, he fell and broke his leg, and he's in agony at the bottom of the well. And no one else dared to go down the well because in the well, they, they knew that, that no one would be strong enough to, to pull him out. And so they went and got the chief. 
And the chief had uh, his chiefly head, headdress, and uh, he had the, the garb on, and, and he saw what the situation was. And so what the chief had to do was take off his headdress, set it aside, take off his garb, set it aside, and he was the only one strong enough to go down, 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 deep into the well to put the injured man on his back and to begin to climb up out of the well. It says, now in that moment, he, when he took off his headdress and he took off his garb, it wasn't that he was no longer chief. In some ways, he was more chief than ever as he humbled himself and went down into the well and rescued one of his own. So when you understand that, you begin to understand, verse 7, that Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. He takes another step down the rung. But, but even angels in heavens are, are, are servants, and so uh, he goes down further, taking on the likeness of human, human beings. He puts on our flesh, our limitations. Uh, but more than that, it says he is a servant, but that we know from, from earlier that that word really means a slave. He took on the form of a slave. He's born to a penniless mother and father in a little obscure part of the Roman Empire, he, he grows up in obscurity. This, this one who had from eternity past been worshipped by the angels. Now no one knew who he was. And he grows up. And, and when he's 30 years old, he, he, bends, he begins to go public. And uh, he gathers around himself some disciples. And, and they're ladder climbers, right? They're not very good ladder climbers. They're pretty low on the ladder. But, but nonetheless, they would have this argument often amongst themselves. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who's going to get to the top? Maybe not the top, but the second rung next to Jesus. Who's going to do that? And they would argue with each other. And Jesus would always be like, you're not getting it, guys. My kingdom's an upside-down kingdom. The first shall be last. The last shall be first. I, I have come to serve and not to be served. And they're like, yeah, 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 Jesus. But really, who's going to be the greatest? <laughs> Ladder climbing is hard to break in our minds. And so on the night that he'd be betrayed, Jesus gathered his disciples one last time in the upper room. And he said, these guys need another illustration. And so Jesus came to them, and, and all of a sudden there, there may have been that awkward moment in, in the upper room, like, hey, uh, who hired the foot washer? Uh, I didn't either, like, foot washing, that's, that's bottom rung stuff. That's slave stuff. Well, Peter, you were supposed to get, no, I'm, I'm one of the inner three. I think Andrew should have done this. And, and there's this argument. And, and then Jesus comes to them, and he takes a towel. And to their shock and their horror, uh, the scripture in John chapter 13 tells us that he got down on his knees, and he began to wash the feet of the disciples dirty, dusty roads with animal droppings all over the place. And he's washing their feet. The Messiah, the rabbi, begins to wash one foot after the other. And they're like, don't, don't wash my feet. And, and Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus says, no, I have to wash your feet. If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part in me. Peter says, well, well then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord. And Jesus is like, no, you're taking the analogy, analogy too far. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. Like, as I've done for you, you do for others. You're, you're foot washers. You're not ladder climbers. Foot washing is bottom rung kind of stuff. When, when I uh, graduated seminary, we moved immediately to Okinawa, and we took over a ministry there. And 
Uh, the last night, we were exchanging the ministry kind of from my mentor and predecessor, Drew Arliscus, and uh, he spoke one last time, and he brought, brought Jennifer and I up front and had us sit down, and he began to wash our feet with this towel. Just as an example, he says, you, you, this is your calling now. And he had it embroidered. It, it says, the order of the towel. I've uh, kept this in my office as a reminder of our calling, but every disciple of Jesus is inaugurated into the order of the towel. That's your metaphor. That's who you are if you've been rescued by Jesus. So climb the ladder as high as you want to go, but don't forget We're here ultimately to serve and not to be served. And so Jesus comes down the ladder. Now remember what Paul is saying here. He said, how are you going to be a humble community? Well, embrace the attitude that Jesus had. He came down the ladder, but that's not even as far as he came down. Verse 8, and he being found in human form, he humbled himself It wasn't Pontius Pilate, it wasn't Herod, it wasn't the the Jews or the Roman authorities. Jesus uh, has said elsewhere that he lays down his life of his own accord in full obedience to the Father. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death. There's nothing glamorous about death. This isn't some great achievement, but, but Jesus knew from the first days that his ultimate purpose in life was to go to the cross and to die. In fact, uh, everyone dies, but he goes to the absolute rock bottom, even death on a cross. That, that's the reminder that Jesus has come all the way down and, and hit the ground. He is crucified and dies on a cross. The Romans would not have any of their own citizens crucified on a cross. It was too too extreme of a penalty, even for their own, the worst. The Jews, uh, among the Jewish people, Galatians 3.13 reminds us, Paul reminds us that they're in the law, that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. And so Jesus coming all the way down the ladder, he goes to the cross, he's cursed by God, he becomes a curse to take away our curse. And when you hit death on the cross, you hit rock bottom. And so, again, Paul says, this, this is, this is what will shape you. A, a cross-centered uh, meditation, a cross-centered theology, a cross-centered uh, thinking, a cross-centered people will be, by nature, a humble people. A humble people. Um, I've been blessed to have some cross-shaped mentors in my life. Uh, I think of one that uh, when I was in seminary, the seminary has this program that you, you have to meet every week with the, your mentors. And, and uh, in the church that he was at, uh, the, the senior pastor who had founded the church had grown it to several thousand members, had, had then left and, and gone somewhere else. And, and so after a while, they couldn't find an interim pastor. And so uh, he being on staff, they made him the pastor for the year as they searched for the next pastor. And he did an, an amazing job. And I just got that inside look of what that looks like for, for that year. And, uh, but at the end of that year, they found another guy to bring on, and they, they brought him on to be the pastor. And, and so um, 
my, my mentor kind of became an afterthought at the church. And, and uh, with a very, very large staff, they, di- they didn't really prioritize him or, or, or make, um, make it an issue. And so they kind of scrambled to find an office for him now. He, he had the senior pastor office, and, and now uh, they had to find an office for him. And I remember going to his office. He was at another building asking, where's his office? And they're like, go down the hall, turn left. It's kind of dark. You go down, go up the stairs, come back the same way uh, through another dark hallway, go through there, and, and there's a door. There's a couple doors. On the one hand, it, it's the janitor's closet and, and, and supplies. And then the other door, that that's where you're looking for. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go down the hall, go up the stairs, go down the hall, come around and, and go in and uh, open the door. And uh, my, my friend and mentor pastor's there and I'm talking with them. And uh, I was like, wow, this is quite the office. No windows, not even on the door. It's basically a glorified closet. He says, yeah, I know. Uh, he had teenage daughters that came and, and when they saw the office, they started crying. He says, what's wrong, honey? They're like, Dad, after all you've done for this church, after all the years that you've served this church, this this is where they put you? Next to the janitor's office? I'll never forget what he said to his daughters. He said, honey, if the Lord were to honor me anymore, he'd make me the janitor. And he meant it. That only comes by someone who understands the cross. Someone who says, it's not about the ladder, but it's about the cross. Because when we understand the cross, man, uh, amazing things happen. And even in this passage, amazing things happen. Look what happens here uh, to Jesus, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Amen. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came down the ladder, hit rock bottom, and by the power of God, God raised him up and set him back. It wasn't that he wasn't Messiah and Lord before, but now he had totally fulfilled those roles, and he is the glorified one. A day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Vladimir Putin's knee and Donald Trump's knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hillary Clinton's knee and Big Bird's knee is going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every boy and girl, every person going to uh, Parker uh, Farmer's Market this morning, they're going to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen for every person created in the image of God. Now, the question for us and the opportunity for us is that when will that happen? Will it happen now in glad, joyful, humble submission? Or will it happen on that last day when Jesus, in his authority as King of kings and Lord of lords, makes everyone bow? And they will bow, and you will bow, and you will confess. But it will either be at a heart of exploding joy or overwhelming sadness in the realization. And so the opportunity is to do it today, to bow your knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. So how do we apply this? The reason Paul is mentioning this 
as we see it in, in chapter 4, that there's these two women in the church that are influential women. That, that something's happened. A falling out has happened, and they both demanded their way, and they began to fracture the church at Philippi. And, and so Paul is, is pleading with them to think like Christ. And he says in chapter 4, verse 2, I entreat Judea and I entreat Synthi to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together and with the rest of the fellow workers. He's just saying, look, imagine if these two women had a cross-shaped humility that they came together and said, you know what, it's not about me. The church isn't about me, it's about Jesus. And they worked together again. Paul knows that that would have a transforming effect. And it would have a transforming effect in our city if we were a people that said Jesus is top priority. And we served one another. So how do we apply this passage personally? Well, I think, first of all, is you, you've got to get it into your heart. I would highly encourage you to memorize this ancient Christian hymn, verses 6 through 11. Memorize it. Something about memorizing it is uh, even when you uh, don't live it, it brings up uh, the Spirit of God will bring it to a point of conviction. Like, wow, I, I know this. But, but if you don't know it, if, it, if it's not in your heart, you can't live it. So memorize it. Uh, and then try to follow it, like Paul says, like, have this mind among you. And then the last thing I would say is tell it to other people. A time is coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And in this moment, it's our moment to help people know that, hey, Jesus is Lord. And you can gladly submit to him today. To that end, let me pray for us and then lead us to communion one more time. God, thank you for uh, your word to us. Lord, you alone are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, and yet you chose to come down the ladder. Lord, to the degree that we are climbing ladders and missing you, I pray that you would just give us a sensitivity to your spirit to repent and to turn and follow you, to understand and embrace what it means that your kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, that the greatest people in your kingdom are the greatest servants on this side of, the, of eternity. So help us to be those kind of people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.